Well, 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 look who's back for another episode of Alex Listens, the podcast about philosophy, politics, race, and mental health. This is your host, Alex Hamo. Today, I sat down with New South Wales Green Senator Maureen Faruqi. Maureen is a Pakistani-born Australian engineer and academic who now is a senator for the Greens. So we spoke about Maureen's life, which obviously has a rich and diverse cultural history, um, which informs her politics and the way she views the world. So we had a wide-ranging conversation, not only about Greens policies and the current state of Australian politics, but also about the life of a person who has seen very much, who is extraordinarily intelligent, and who, above all, is an extremely kind and generous person, which is something that I hope to see in politics more and more. Before we get into the episode, a few quick things to mention. First of all, I'm putting on a public event. It will be a live interview with a philosopher from the University of Melbourne. His name is Justin Clemens, and I'll be interviewing him in front of an audience in Collingwood, Melbourne, on Saturday the 4th of June at 5pm. There'll be a link in the bio for tickets to that. Uh, Also, if you're enjoying my podcast, please consider supporting it. You can support it in many different ways. First of all, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Alex Hammer, on TikTok at Alex Listens. Um, I'm pretty active on both of them. If you want to support me financially, you can do so via Patreon or PayPal, and that will be a very easy way for you to contribute to my ability to continue making this podcast and doing the things that I do. And finally, uh, I encourage you to leave a review, an honest review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, letting me know what you think about the podcast. Five stars, wonderful voice, wonderful insights, you know how it goes. Um, so without any further ado, this is my conversation with Marine Fook. Watch me, dude, watch me. So, hey, Maureen, thank you so much for making time to talk with me. Hi, Alex. It's wonderful to be uh, with you and, and to meet you, even though it's online. But hopefully one day we'll catch up face to face. I hope so. I hope so. So the election is around the corner and you are a human being, even though politicians seem to occupy this kind of mystical status in society. So how is your life going at the moment? Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned some very, you know, kind of key terms in in current political debate, things like neoliberalism, capitalism and, you know, the way these things are impacting 
the the trajectory of our society but i guess before we get into topics like this i i wanted to ask you about uh your what drew you into politics because i know like many other people in the greens you had a very successful career in a in something outside of politics before coming into politics you were an engineer um one of the few uh, members of the current parliament with a PhD, let me add. Um, so how did you end up in politics? What, what drew you into this new uh, direction in your life? Um, I grew up in Pakistan and in Pakistan, everyone talks politics, you know, you, whether, you know, it's the person selling the samosas on the street or whether it's the, you know, rickshawala, the, the person who drives a rickshaw or, you know, you go to the shops and you, you know, talk to the person behind the counter. And I grew up in that society where, you know, we had dinner table conversations and often dinner table rows about politics. Um, and so politics was always front and center of my mind, especially the politics of gender equity. I mean, Pakistan is, um, you know, a place where that is specifically highlighted. It's very lowly, low ranked in terms of gender, um, gender equity. But then when you move to a place like Australia, you find out that's a pretty universal battle. Um, you know, the battle for gender equity. Uh, and my mom tells me that, you know, at a very early age, I had this real fire for justice and fairness. Um, so I would have conversations with her um, and, and often debates about why I wasn't allowed to do the same things that my two older brothers were allowed to do, even things like playing cricket um, in the streets. Um, and I, you know, I started slowly winning those little battles um, as well. Um, but of course, you know, while politics was on my mind, being a politician was, was not ever there because in those conversations when I was growing up, they were all also conversations about how politicians had changed. Like I remember my parents talking about politicians being statesmen-like people and, you know, really uh, thinking about the community when they made decisions, but they had been corrupted and they were all in it for themselves. So it wasn't considered a place where someone who had integrity or honesty would end up. And of course, coming to Australia as a migrant, like not even in my wildest dreams could I have ever imagined um, that I would be in the Senate one day. But of course, the passion to change things for the better was always there. And I kept that fire in me. Um, and, you know, once you settle in, and it took me, it took us a good 10, 12 years to find our feet in Australia. Um, you know, I then started working with, uh, with community movements like the refugee support movement or the environment movement. And that led me um, to the Greens. And one thing led to another. And um, there was a point in time where I thought, I could take all this experience that I have, my life experience, my work in Pakistan here and meeting with, you know, thousands of different people in my different workplaces and communities. And I could really use that for the good of the people as a public service to the community. Mm, yeah, and and that's how I ended up there. Wow. Well, it's, it's an incredible story. And, you know, often, Often the stories of, of migrants to Australia are like this. They're marked by so many different, different jumps between different fields and drawing on history and culture to, you know, inform what your priorities are. So, yeah, my, I'm also the child of migrants, um, migrants who come from 
um, you know, two very different countries, two very different uh, backgrounds. Alex, the one thing I kind of find um, about the Greeks, which drew, drew me to them, was this idea of big, bold, um, you know, uh, I guess big, bold platforms um, and pushing the boundaries and going to places where no one else would bringing up debates in the political arena and in the public, which no one else would because they would think that this will um, cause them to lose weights. But, you know, there, there was this party who was doing it because it was the right thing to do. Mm. Um, that's really what drew, the, uh, drew me to the Greens. Mm, yeah. Okay. And you mentioned that, um, uh, that, that the Greens and, you know, I'm, I'm not sure there would be anyone in Australia who would deny that the Greens are one of the few parties who really ask and interrogate very difficult questions. Um, and, you know, you mentioned that in your, um, the country of your birth, Pakistan, there's a culture of people talking about politics very openly. Whereas, you know, in Australia, in the Anglo world, you know, there is a culture of, you know, don't ask, don't tell, you know, I'm not going to ask you about your politics. I don't want to hear about them. Um, and so I often worry that a party like the Greens, who is so open about these, you know, ex ex extremely important topics, um, you know, things about gender, sexuality, um, you know, healthcare, accommodation, these, these topics that are very polarizing, that by talking about these things, they're going to alienate a big number of the voting base in Australia, people who don't want to have these topics discussed at a national level. Um, and so, yeah, I was wondering whether you, whether you, what your thoughts were about this, whether you think people are, you know, mostly drawn towards the Greens for, um, you know, their kind of openness or whether, you know, people are afraid of a party who is, who is so kind of, um, so kind of wide-reaching and so brave in the way that it asks questions and answers them? It probably is a mix of both, I would say. Um, but at the end of the day, we have to show leadership. Um, you know, it politics is not about trying to one, win seats alone or win elections uh, and just try, you know, set up focus groups and think what people, uh, know what people are thinking and then follow the community to get people's votes. Um, of course, we need to listen to the community. That is the topmost priority for the Greens, a, a party which is based on the principle of grassroots democracy. But it is also about leadership um, and, you know, and discussing the things that are just um, and right. Um, and, and that's um, what we do. And I think, we, like, we are a young party. We're only 30 years old. Uh, and given that, we have 10 MPs in the federal parliament. We have MPs in almost every state now. We have hundreds of local councillors. So I think that does say a lot about how our message and the way we do things, which is really important, which we are a party who doesn't take corporate donations. Um, so, you know, we, we, are, we work on people power, you know, we knock on thousands of doors and actually talk to people without the gatekeeping of of pollsters or, you know, focus groups. Um, and that is resonating with people. Um, change often, as you know, social change is tough. It is often slow, but 
It will only happen if we try and shake up the system a little bit. If we actually try and address the root causes of inequality of the climate crisis, rather than trying to put on band-aids um, on things. You know, we look at the moment what's happening with the two major parties in terms of what their policies are on addressing the housing crisis. I mean, the, the, the Liberal Party is actually uh, inflaming the crisis. Um, and the Labour Party has is just tinkering around the edges. You know, no one is actually talking about the supply side of things, how we need more um, public community and affordable housing. And we've, we've got to just you know, kind of grab that with both hands, put it on the table, a solution problem faces. I've been that popular, you know, public housing expert after our expert is come and say, well, we need, you know, 50,000 homes to be built every year. So hmm. some of the ideas we put forward may not be popular at the time we start talking about them um, because they are quite different to what people have been thinking till that time, but you know, many of them have become policies now. I mean, think about um, voluntary assisted dying, for instance, almost every state now has that except New South Wales, and we hopefully get that um, tonight or tomorrow. Think about uh, decriminalizing abortion. Uh, that, was an, I, that was a campaign that you know I started when I was in New South Wales parliament about seven years ago, and no one had brought that debate into parliament in the 100 years history of New South Wales. And now abortion has been decriminalized. Um, I think politicians are often way behind community thinking sometimes as well. Um, and we, we need to talk more about, uh, about these issues and they definitely change hearts and minds, but it has to be done in a way uh, which takes the community along with us uh, it's not just kind of our journey in changing Australia for a, to be a better place. It is actually about working with people. And there are so many wonderful activists uh, who do this every single day for no gain for themselves at all. And, you know, hats off to them. And it is those people that keep me going, Alex, to be frank. Yeah, and it is, you're right, it is such a joy to see, especially young people, um, get more and more behind parties like the Greens. And I really feel like this is something that's that I'm seeing more than I have with the previous election, the only one other election that I have been an adult for, um, which is when, <laughs> yeah, when Scott Morrison was elected. Um, but I feel like, you know, with the rise of um, things like TikTok, it's becoming a lot easier for people to discuss and share ideas and information. Um, and something that you something that you mentioned before is the importance of um, uh, politicians uh, talking about topics that are difficult to talk about. Because if if politicians aren't talking about them, then you know how is there going to be any kind of social change? If it's just if it's just the public talking about them and it's never reaching the houses of parliament, then you know, how are we going to get any change? Um, so if, if it is so 
important for, you know, politicians to push boundaries and to ask questions and this kind of thing. Um, do you believe that there is any, or have you learned in your experience any way to engage with people who don't agree with what you believe in, um, who, you know, will immediately put walls up and say, no, this isn't for me. This is some, you know, kind of, this is some lefty who's got no idea what they're talking about. Do you have any idea how or what would be the best way to engage with a person or a group who don't agree with what you're saying from the outset? We shouldn't be afraid of engaging with people who don't think like us. Um, you know, often we are too quick to put people into boxes of progressive or conservative, left-wing, right-wing. I think people actually are a wild and wonderful mix of all of these things. Um, so I have never been afraid of talking to people who may not agree with me. In fact, I often speak to young people in um, you know, TAFEs and universities and school, and I actually encourage them to move outside their circle of friends and talk to people who they know may not agree with them. I think that's the idea. Uh, and how will we grow our movement if we don't change hearts and minds of people who may not agree with them? Of course, you know, there are, um, I guess, political parties. I mean, I can give you the example of One Nation, like far-right parties like that, put out kind of anti-migrant sentiment and Islamophobia. It's a bit difficult to get past them. But that's not to say that people who vote for them may not change their minds because parties like this, what they do is they try and cause division. They try and harvest uh, votes. They try and play on the insecurities of people um, and make migrants or Muslims, you know, demons in this debate. You know, you know, we migrants came here and on the one hand, we've taken everyone's jobs. But on the other hand, we're also lined up on, you know, social security welfare queues. Um, so they, they use this division for their own purposes. Uh, for me, you know, if there's one light bulb moment where I thought, Alex, that I could actually give up my wonderful career um, because I love my engineering. I was teaching um, at the time I left teaching and came into politics. If there was one moment that I thought this is something that I could really do, it was door knocking. Uh, it was a campaign where I was a candidate in a completely unwinnable seat. But of course, for us, campaigning is not, like I said, not only about winning. It is an opportunity um, to campaign and talk to people. And because we hardly had any money in the campaign, our you know, main strategy was door knocking. So I would come home from work and a few of us would get together and go and knock on people's doors. And yeah, so for, for me, opening up someone's front gate, knocking on their door and having this conversation with them about what they wanted um, their children's future or their future to look like was really um, exhilarating. And I found that because I had this experience um, in my life of working in many organizations, talking, dealing with so many people, these conversations came very easy to me, listening to people, having a chat with pretty much anyone with any view just was really easy. And, and I thought, how wonderful would it be for me to take these conversations into uh, politics? So absolutely, I think we should not be afraid. Mm -hmm. of people with, with different views. Of course, you, you know, when you're not get, getting anywhere, you can draw the line. Um, but at least be open to that. Mm. Because if we want to, as a political movement, if we want people to listen to us, 
we have to keep an open mind, listen to others, and also, you know, change our minds as well. Yeah, and and you're right, you know, like there these these titles, left, right, center, you know, it's very difficult to accurately pigeonhole someone and apart, apart from maybe, you know, the United Australian Party, I, I feel like they're, you know, they're an exception to this rule. That's um, right. And we've seen in, in polls, not just in Australia, but in the US and the UK as well, that, you know, predictions of polling have been quite inaccurate. Uh, you know, and I, and I think one of the reasons for that is that people actually are changing their minds. Mm, yeah. And even on like, you know, on on social media, I have seen on, you know, comments on content made by the Australian Greens, on my content, anything about politics. You know, you see people saying that their parents have recently changed their mind because of TikTok, because they saw, you know, something about the environment or something about, um, you know, something that affected someone in their lives. Um, and so you're right, you know, these, we aren't these very rigid creatures. Um, and this is often what it seems like conservative politics tries to tell people that they are, that there is only one way of understanding the world um, and that there isn't flexibility and that you know, we, we have the answers. So, yeah, I think one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about was uh, a, um, a plan that the Greens recently, recently announced that uh, impacted me very greatly because it was one of the first times I had seen something like this um, at the federal level. And the Greens said that they are wanting to build a, well, they, they're committed to, to making Australia an anti-racist and generally multicultural country, um, which isn't something that has been clearly voiced by other parties. Other parties often assume that Australia already is an anti-racist and multicultural country. And so, yeah, I suppose you bring a very unique experience to Australian politics because you, you know, you are one of very few politicians to have received a secondary education overseas. You are one of very few politicians, the first uh, Muslim woman to be in Australian Parliament. Um, and I'm wondering uh, why it is that, what it is that you think needs to change about Australia so that it can become a genuinely multicultural country. One of the best things I find about Australia is that people from all over the world, you know, have come to Australia and made it their home. Um, and, you know, I grew up, like I said, in Pakistan, pretty monocultural, I would say. Uh, and so just coming here opened a whole new world for me. Uh, but, you know, there's something very wrong with the country, which is so multicultural, which has, I think it's about 50% of the people who live here um, ha have come from another place or, or were, sorry, born somewhere else and their or their parents were born somewhere else. And when you look at parliaments or you look at the media or you look at places of power and influence, that multiculturalism completely disappears. Um, and, you know, the hard truth is that Australia was actually built on the violent colonization uh, dispossession and oppression of First Nations people, which still goes on to this day. And that has actually permeated um, into society and into how asylum seekers and people of color um, are treated in this country. Uh, when I came into politics, like you said, there was, there was literally no one like me there. 
Um, it actually did surprise me when the media kind of dug up this trivia that I was the first Muslim woman. It, it did surprise me quite a lot because, you know, Muslims have been living in this country for a very long time. Um, and they, you know, a very long time they came here as cameleers and they actually lived and worked with First Nations people. Um, so what needs to change? Everything needs to change, Alex. Everything needs to change. Um, but I think political parties um, need to be take some responsibility for the lack of diversity uh, in parliaments. And while the two major parties have courted multicultural communities for their votes, they actually have done very little to address the issues that our communities face, like racism and discrimination and worker exploitation. Um, and so, and and of course, there's very little diversity in their ranks in parliaments as well. So there needs to be a real deliberate effort um, by all political parties to um, pre-select candidates to represent them in winnable seats, not users as tokens uh, and say, oh, look how many candidates we have in this election, which are people of color, First Nations people. Um, but they might, most of them might be in seats that are not winnable at all. So I think that needs to change. And, you know, we've come up, as you said, with a pretty strong um, policy to build an anti-racist Australia, uh, which is which has a number um, of, I guess, prongs in that. Uh, one of the things that we really want to do is for the Australian government to come up with a really strong um, national strategy on, on doing that. Uh, which is obviously about education. It is also about, about providing funds to communities and local governments um, to be able to work on this within their communities. Victoria has some very, it won't take just one or two things to change um, the way Australia is in terms of lack of diversity in men's or the way um, you know Australia treats First Nations people or people of color. Uh, it will take uh, the whole society and the whole of government um, to make that change. Um, but at the core of it lies truth, treaty, uh, and voice. And unless we can reckon uh, with what the treatment that First Nations people face um, and uh, for First Nations people to have justice, I think it'll be very hard for us to move forward on that. Well, Maureen Faruqi, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom and your insights. Um, I'm sure all my listeners and myself, we are all extremely grateful for the work you do and for your generosity in coming to talk with me. So thank you very much. Anytime, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been a real delight to speak with you and more of this. I hope so. I hope so. Um, I would really love to, to chat with you again sometime soon.